You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Flight planning services are affected by a cyber attack, as are Danish rail services. A BEC gang impersonates international law firms. The effects of the hybrid war on action in cyberspace. Deepin Desai from Zscaler examines the evolution of the X-Files stealer. Maria Vermatsis has an analysis of the Starlink situation in Ukraine. And a sad final farewell to Vitaly Kremez. Gone far too soon. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Friday, November 4th, 2022. We open with a couple of stories that have affected different transportation sectors over the past week. Boeing subsidiary Jeppesen has disclosed that its services were interrupted by a cyber attack this week. Reuters describes Jeppesen as a provider of analytical and flight planning services. The company said, We are currently experiencing technical issues with some of our products, services, and communication channels. We are working to restore functionality as soon as possible. Among the services affected is the processing and distribution of NOTAMs, Notice to Air Missions. NOTAMs remain available from other official sources. Live and Let's Fly reports that the incident may have been a ransomware attack. Train service interruptions in Denmark last Saturday have now been attributed to a cyber attack, Reuters reports. Danish rail operator DSB said yesterday that an IT contractor, Supio, had been hit by a criminally motivated cyber attack that led Supio to shut down its servers as a precaution. This had a cascading effect on rail service. Security firm Abnormal Security is tracking a threat actor they call Crimson Kingsnake that's launching business email compromise attacks by impersonating attorneys, law firms, and debt recovery services. Crimson Kingsnake specializes in blind third-party impersonation attacks, a term abnormal uses to describe BEC attacks in which the threat actor doesn't have direct visibility into the targeted organization's communications or business transactions. The researchers say, Based on our observations, a typical Crimson Kingsnake attack starts with an email impersonating an attorney and referencing an overdue payment the target's company owes to the firm or a company they represent. The impersonated attorney and the law firm they purportedly work for actually exist in the real world, so if the target ran a Google search for either, they would actually find results for the impersonated parties. 
to add legitimacy to their communications, Crimson Kingsnake uses email addresses hosted on domains closely resembling a firm's real domain. The display name of the sender is sent to the attorney that is being impersonated, and the email signature contains the firm's actual company address. Since March of 2022, we've identified 92 domains linked to Crimson Kingsnake that have mimicked the domains of 19 law firms and debt collection agencies in the United States, the United Kingdom, and Australia. Many of the firms referenced in Crimson Kingsnake attacks are major multinational practices with a global footprint. If an employee replies to one of these emails, the attacker will send them a phony invoice requesting tens of thousands of dollars. If the employee questions the invoice, the attackers will impersonate an executive at the employee's company authorizing the transaction. So, the social engineering mingled the authority of a law firm with the fear that legal letterhead often induces. It's proved enough to get some people to lower their guard. Russian cyber campaigns have so far not worked the widespread devastation on Ukrainian and allied infrastructure that had been expected at the outset of the war. But ENISA, the EU's cybersecurity agency, finds that the war has nonetheless shaped activity in cyberspace. ENISA's Threat Landscape 2022 report says, The geopolitical situations, particularly the Russian invasion of Ukraine, have acted as a game-changer over the reporting period for the global cyber domain. While we still observe an increase in the number of threats, we also see a wider range of vectors emerge, such as zero-day exploits, and AI-enabled disinformation and deepfakes. As a result, more malicious and widespread attacks emerge, having more damaging impact. How and why the cyber phases of the hybrid war have developed as they have remains a matter for speculation and analysis. The Carnegie Endowment for International Peace has issued an assessment of the state of international assistance rendered to Ukraine for its cyber defense. Such assistance is being considered as at least a partial explanation of Russia's failure to meet expectations in its cyber campaign. The report offers a clear summary of pre-war expectations of Russian performance in cyberspace, stating, Many, though not all, pre-war assessments expected that cyber attacks would play a significant role in Russia's campaign. The strategic context suggested that Although Ukraine had much experience in defending against Russian cyber attacks and could call on motivated, highly capable experts to protect critical targets, it would ultimately be unable to prevent major harm to and exploitation of digital networks and data. Ukraine's operational strengths would be outmatched by Russia's strategic advantages of possessing some of the world's most powerful offensive cyber capabilities— albeit with debatable strategic effectiveness, and operating in a digital terrain that has been thought to favor the offense over defense. Moscow appeared to be holding a decisive advantage in cyberspace. Officials in Kyiv have credited assistance from the EU, the UK, and the US with providing major assistance to Ukraine's cybersecurity. Western technology companies have also provided extensive support. This assistance includes Starlink's provision of satellite communication services, which the company this week has said will continue. It also includes Microsoft's commitment of $400 million to enable Ukraine to continue its use of Redmond's cloud and data services. 
The Carnegie Endowment's paper concludes with some lessons learned so far from the experience of Russia's war. Overall, the lessons make the case for the effectiveness of collective defense, stating, Cyber defense at scale relies on the involvement of the largest commercial technology and cybersecurity companies. Politics and geopolitics count in cyberspace just as everywhere else. Shared values are as important as shared interests. Government can be a catalyst and sponsor of large-scale cyber defense involving commercial entities. And capacity building is valuable, but it is no substitute for capability reinforcement. People will be drawing lessons from Russia's war against Ukraine for years, but it's not too early to make a preliminary assessment, and that's what the Carnegie Endowment has done. We close with a sad note of farewell. Vitaly Kremes, chairman and CEO of ADV Intel, died in a scuba accident this week. He was a true white hat, much respected in the community, and he'll be missed. Our condolences and wishes for consolation to all of his family, friends, and colleagues. After the break, Deepin Desai from Zscaler examines the evolution of the X-Files Stealer. Maria Vermasis has an analysis of the Starlink situation in Ukraine. Stay with us. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using Identity Orchestration, 
Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. Starlink satellite internet has been a valuable resource for the Ukrainian army fighting against the invading Russians. The rhetoric around this tool has been complicated and at times confusing. Our CyberWire space correspondent Maria Vermasis has the latest. It's been a busy news cycle for anyone trying to follow the story about Elon Musk, Starlink, and the war in Ukraine. At first, Musk said he's happy to provide Starlinks to Ukraine, and then he says he can't do it anymore, and then he says, wait, never mind, and I quote, to hell with it, and we'll continue to provide Starlink support to Ukraine despite the costs. It can't be said enough that communication via Starlink has been crucial for soldiers fighting in Ukraine. Mobile phone infrastructure is damaged, distances are often too impractical for radio, so Starlink has been the option for battlefield command and control, from sharing intelligence to controlling drone flights to simply communicating with families and with the outside world. So while the debate roiled over who has been paying for Starlink access and how to sustain the financial support for Starlink service in Ukraine, wrapped up in all of this was controversy about Starlink connectivity on the Ukrainian front lines, specifically in the South and the East, just as Ukrainian fighters made some serious headway into regaining territory. Starting in late September... Ukrainian fighters on the front lines started reporting some major Starlink outages, which soldiers on the ground said had a, quote, catastrophic impact. As the zones of control in a war are often shifting quickly, satellite geofencing might not always reflect the -the on-the-ground reality. And it's possible that the geofencing meant to keep Russia from using Starlink simply hadn't been updated quickly enough to match the needs of Ukrainian fighters on the front. But the timing of the Starlink outage did raise some eyebrows. Ukrainian fighters started seeing outages around September 30th. And just a few days later, on October 3rd, Elon Musk tweeted that perhaps Ukraine could put an end to this war by giving Crimea and Donbass to Russia, which coincidentally also happens to be what Russian President Vladimir Putin wants. A belief repeated by some Ukrainian officials was that perhaps the geofencing had purposely not been updated to reflect Ukraine's newly regained territory. If the timing of Musk's tweets about ceding territory to Russia seemed suspect, one could infer Musk's sympathies and see restricting Ukrainian frontline access to Starlink as a decisive move to try and shift battlefield conditions to Russia's favor. But the inverse to that theory also follows. If SpaceX purposely disabled Starlink connectivity in those areas— it was perhaps to prevent Starlink from being used in a counteroffensive by Russian forces. Both theories depend on your point of view of which side of this war Musk does or doesn't support. But for his part, Musk hints in his tweets that the explanation could be a lot simpler. Namely, it's Russian interference. Here's a few words from Elon Musk himself from his Twitter account. Quote, In addition to terminals, we have to create, launch, maintain, and replenish satellites and ground stations and pay telcos for access to internet via gateways. We also had to defend against cyber attacks and jamming, which are getting harder. Starlink is only comm system still working at Warfront, 
all others dead. Russia is actively trying to kill Starlink. To safeguard, SpaceX has diverted massive resources towards defense. Even so, Starlink may still die. Internet fiber, phone lines, cell towers, and other space-based comms and war areas have been destroyed. Starlink is all that's left for now. End quote. And then here at the end of this tweet, Elon Musk also includes a link to an article in Wired about the February Viasat attack. So the implication there, if one really wants to read into tweets by the notoriously mercurial Musk, is that with Starlink being so crucial to Ukrainian fighters, that of course it's going to be a prime target for jamming and cyber attack takedowns by Russia. And it should be noted that while the Starlink outages started in late September, by around October 7th, it seems that connectivity on the war front lines had mostly been restored. And Starlink itself faced and foiled signal jamming attacks from Russia earlier this year, in fact. In March, Starlink updated its software in mere hours to mitigate jamming techniques that were being seen on the front lines used against them. And on March 25th, Musk himself proudly tweeted that, quote, Starlink, at least so far, has resisted all hacking and jamming attempts. But it's possible that Russia has started to find new ways to affect Starlink service that SpaceX can't quite act against yet. Not everyone believes Musk's claim that Starlink's downtime was due to jamming, or at least that it was solely due to jamming. Many military experts believe it may have been a combination of a number of factors, including jamming, as well as the geofence not being updated. Since Starlink is so crucial to Ukrainian fighters, and since Starlink really is the only option for resilient frontline connectivity and communication at this point, despite the unexplained outage, for now, we may just have to take Musk at his tweeted word. For The Cyberwire, I'm Maria Varmazas. There's a lot more to this conversation. If you want to hear more, head on over to CyberWire Pro and sign up for Interview Selects, where you get access to this and many more extended interviews. And I'm pleased to welcome back to the show Deepan Desai. He is the Chief Information Security Officer and VP of Security Research and Operations at Zscaler. Uh, Deepan, always great to welcome you back to the show. I want to talk to you today about some research that you and your colleagues have uh, published recently. You were tracking the X-Files Stealer, uh, some of the, the things you've been seeing in terms of evolution of that. What can you share with us today? Yeah, thank you, Dave. Uh, so, yeah, Threat Labs team recently spotted a new variant of uh, uh, an info stealer named uh, X Files, and and um, you know we've been tracking this for almost a couple years now. There were a few enhanced features, and and the way it was uh, exfiltrating data, which uh, which prompted the team to dissect further and publish uh, our research on it. Hmm. Well, let's go through some of the details together here. What sort of things have been updated? Yeah, so, um, I mean, if I were to start with the history, X-Files, this family has been around since March of 2021. Um, There were a couple variants that we saw in uh, 2021 itself. Uh, In um, June, um, which is a couple months back, we saw a new version of this dealer where, you know, there were a few things uh, being added, and I'll go through that. One of the stuff that we saw uh, the ma- uh, with this malware was the infrastructure that was being used was was in Russian region. 
the the IPs where the phishing domains were hosted were located in Russia. The C2 panel, where the malware will communicate with post-infection, were also in Russia. And then uh, what we've seen is uh, in the recent variant uh, that I'm talking about, they started exploiting Folina vulnerability, right? And for those of you that don't know, that's the uh, remote code execution vulnerability, um, you know, that uh, Microsoft recently released a workaround guidance as well. Uh, so this was affecting Microsoft support diagnostic tool in Windows where a remote unauthenticated attacker could essentially exploit this vulnerability to take over um, the impacted system. So X-Files uh, payload was uh, taking advantage of that uh, the, or the threat actors behind it were taking advantage of that to plant this. And then uh, it aims to steal and exfiltrate sensitive information such as browser credentials, crypto wallets, your FTP application credentials, and then, um, you know, financial stuff like credit cards. What's going on under the hood here? I mean, did you have any sense for what sort of tools they're using to develop this? Yeah, so this is uh, actually all the variants that we have uh, stumbled across are, are all written in uh, C Sharp. That's a programming language. And with new features being added over time by the threat actor. Uh, with the latest variant, uh, the, the threat actors have switched to hiding some of the interesting strings. Uh, and this, again, falls in the anti-analysis, uh, anti-evasion technique, where the goal for the threat actor is to uh, increase the shelf life uh, of these payloads. So Base64 format, rather than plain text for some of those interesting strings, change in the CNC protocol where, you know, what will be observed over the network layer when the payload communicates with the command and control server. So we observe some obfuscation getting added over there too. Mm, that's interesting. Now you say you all have been tracking this uh, organization for a couple of years now. I, I guess it's fair to say that we can expect them to be around for a while. Yeah, I mean, uh, with with the new updates uh, getting pushed out, uh, we do expect this to continue. Um, and uh, it's important for the end users. Again, this this is one of those stealer that will show up as part of the cracked software, um, right? That's one. The other one was phishing campaigns being leveraged to deliver this uh, payload as well. So. Uh, make sure when you click on those links, you know you trust the destination. Do not download software from, uh, you know, unsolicited uh, links that you receive. Never click on them to begin with. Yeah. All right. Well, deep into side. Thanks for joining us. That's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. Be sure to check out this weekend's Research Saturday and my conversation with Roya Gordon from the Zomi Networks on UWB real-time locating systems, how secure radio communications may fail in practice. That's Research Saturday. Check it out. The Cyberwire podcast is a production of N2K Networks, proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. 
Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karpf, Eliana White, Peru Prakash, Liz Irvin, Rachel Gelfin, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Maria Vermatsis, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Catherine Murphy, Janine Daly, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, Simone Petrella, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week. Thank you.